All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Cutlass Podcast. Today, we'll be continuing our journey on our 34th episode. But before I get into today's topic, I just want to do a quick review of the fundamental framework and approach I'm taking to off to get you guys to think about your leadership and management skills a little differently. So if you've been following the podcast, first of all, thanks for your support. Thanks for taking time to follow us. Hopefully, we're generating good content for you, something you find useful. And I'm always looking for that feedback to give you good content and good conversations to build upon these fundamentals. First, know and develop your eight power bases. Those are your tools of leadership. Second, know and understand how to use nine influence tactics. So if your power bases are your tools, your influence tactics are the ways you can use those tools to achieve your leadership objectives. Third, you need to use your knowledge of situational leadership to help you select the appropriate influence tactic or group of tactics that are appropriate for the situation and then apply them. And then fourth, develop a strong suite of communication skills to provide strength and flexibility for your influence tactics. And then finally, actually, there's a fifth one. It's just soliciting feedback on the effectiveness of your leadership approaches from people that follow you to peers to mentors and coaches you may have in your life. So you follow those five steps. And as you listen through the podcast episodes, you'll see that I try to tie all the content into those and help you develop those. And then your management skills are a separate suite of of skills, but I touch on those as well. All right. So today we're going to dive back into one of those and we're going to get back in the situational leadership model But today, I want to focus a little bit more specifically on the directing style. So, you know, I've had former guests on. We've talked through situational leadership. We've talked through the four quadrants of it, how to adjust their personal experiences with adjusting back and forth. But I want to dive specifically into specific leadership styles because there's skills and there's attributes that support each style. Uh, And there's a variety of ways you can execute different styles of leadership, such as their directing style. So today, it's my pleasure to welcome my friend and retired command master chief, Glenn Mallow. Glenn served over 30 years in the Navy. And like me, he started in the Nuke Power Program and then was selected in the command master chief program in the early 2000s. Actually, he tracked a couple years before me. We had served together on USS Enterprise together. We were prototype instructors together up in Balsam Spa, New York. He was a person that I followed along and watched as he progressed out of the Nuke Power Program into the Command Master Chief Program, and then we stayed in contact. He's got great perspective. We talk a variety of leadership things. I know he's a huge fan or a follower of situational leadership, and I think you're going to get a lot out of this conversation. So thanks for taking some time to join me. How have things been, and what are you up to these days? All right, Paul. Hey, thanks so much for having me. And uh, uh, I, I got to say, that first and foremost, congratulations on your 34th uh, episode. Looking forward to the videos when you turn back your YouTube channel. And uh, I just want a quick uh, quick plug-in uh, for uh, situational leadership. I-, I am a big fan of the results that it delivers. But frankly, uh, I'm, I'm open to any and all. And uh, thanks to your emphasis on the uh, power basis, knowing when to use them when they're appropriate and knowing when to adjust, uh, the, again, based on the results. Uh, has been extremely valuable and useful uh, throughout my career in uniform. And even outside here, you know, six years now out of uniform, working in the commercial industry defense sector. Yeah, the plug on the YouTube video, I did start originally with doing YouTube videos and I then I found myself consumed or in this podcast space and I completely neglected that. So I'm going to reinvigorate that so you guys can check that out on the Paul Kingsbury YouTube channel. I'll put that in the episode description as well. I think there's like seven episodes now, but I'm looking forward to doing more of those. All right, you ready to jump right into this directing style of leadership? 
absolutely. All right. So it, it kind of sounds straightforward, right? Especially to those in the military. I think people think we just default to directing style, right? That's what the military is all about. I just tell you to do something. You just do it. I use very strong leadership, directing tile, giving orders, giving commands. But there's more to it than that. I think, you know, there's other ways to go into a directing style. Uh, and some people aren't comfortable, frankly, in a directing style. And some people overuse a directing style. So I want to first dive into when and why do you think a leader should use the directing style of leadership? Well, I think, you know, it, it starts off day one, uh, maybe not even day one, but, you know, those P1, P2, P3 days. The boot camp, we saw how certainly I felt, you know, on the receiving end, the effectiveness of that as, as somebody who's new to the organization, maybe that is, uh, especially in a recruit training background, did, did not know, wanted to know, actually did not know what I wanted to know about what to do. Just, you know, became a day by day kind of survival mode. And uh, in the absence of a directing leadership style, I probably would not uh, successfully made it to boot camp and I'm not sure, you know, how much other folks could have. You know, we we had we had great folks in the in the company, as far as I can remember, uh, that perhaps would have done well without the directing style of the company commanders back then. But there probably going to be the exceptions by the rules. So taking that on to uh, my blue jacket days, and then on to add the opportunity to serve the Army Navy as a chief petty officer. I found that the, the directing style came natural, as you alluded to, and it wasn't until after I kind of looked into the theory of it during my senior enlisted academy days that I realized that, uh, you know, it's more than just, you know, directing people and, and micromanaging or supervising them, looking over their shoulders. It's a lot more. Again, it's all based on the development of each individual. And quite frankly, you know, later on after I've kind of applied the theories, that I've gone to appreciate that it's not just individual. And this is where I think one of the limitations of the model is, uh, you know, it's based on individual development. And quite frankly, I think it can be, it should be, as I kind of practice later on, applied to teams, whether it's a small team or, uh, you know, something other than small, a larger size team. It could be applied into, you know, remote teams and, and obviously, the teams that you have within the confines, the lifelines of the ship. So I think it gets, when you get in the situational leadership model, I mean, there's a couple different ways you apply. First, you have to assess your target audience, right? And go, that's where you first figure out, I think, what style do I want to go to or what style is best suited for this audience? Not maybe absolutely, but I think the words I use have been, you know, I look at my audience and go, what is their willingness and their ability or their character and competence, right? What's their capability? So I might have a group that's got a great attitude, but they just don't have the knowledge to do things. So I'm going to go more directive and help move them, maybe directive in their competence, you know, and things like that. On the other hand, I might have a competent team with a bad attitude, and I think that'll shift you more into directing leadership style. So is that how you've seen it? And then can you give us a few personal examples and to your point earlier, not just, you know, with a, you know, a new recruit or someone new in an organization, but with more mature teams, uh, you were the command match chief on an aircraft carrier. I'm sure very seasoned mess, but I'm sure there's times when you had to go directing leadership style. No, absolutely. Two quick examples from my, my time on, on the USS Carl Vincent as the command match chief. We had the, uh, uh, nailed it, you nailed it on the head, you know, my match chiefs, we had 17 of them. They, they were not going to get to that point without having been a, a subject matter expert, not just technical, but also in the leadership uh, in their respective fields, aviation, you know, nuclear power, the surface folks. 
the administrative support, IT, operations, you know, the whole the whole gamut of uh, fields in the Navy. So we started the example here, uh, you know, we were in a shipyard and uh, and we saw that there was a need to stand up uh, or actually beef up our uh, in-dock division, IDIV uh, I or uh, orientation. So what we decided uh, as uh, from the command leadership standpoint is that we, we were going to uh, back up uh, our, our theory of uh, first impressions make uh, matters the most. And the first 72 hours uh, in, in the command will, will be the scene setter for the success or not of, uh, of an individual checking in. And so the, the tasking that I took on for the mass is to get my mass sheets uh, to buy in. And then besides the buy in is actually uh, put the resources to making this in dock division the best it could possibly be. And so the idea that I proposed to them was, hey, let's get all the best of our best, the sailor years uh, from each department to fill in those buildings. So uh, obviously that's uh, way out of the box. And you heard from, I heard from anywhere from, I cannot afford that. You know, whether it's a watch standing issue or, hey, I'm a small department and my sailor years also the leading petty officer, so on and so forth. So he said that, hey, you know, our commitment is we're going to provide those Committed to the command to provide the best of our best, and then and then we figure out the details. So from from a from a team aspect, making the assessment, you know, you've got a bunch of experts here. You know, I mean, we had folks that had more time in the navy than, than I did during that time. So with with, with all due respects and appreciation for the the talent and leadership experience that they've had, is how do we you know harness all that collectively to make good on our commitment and then make adjustments. Uh, from that commitment to, to see how we can make it, you know, even better. Uh, going for the win-win, win for their department, obviously win for the command. Uh, in the end, uh, the directing style was called for. Not so much because it's a task. Situational leadership is task-oriented, and so the task that we were going after is how do we stand up and execute a uh, in-doc division uh, and and resource it with the best of our best, and and then make adjustments to results. So. In that case, everybody, myself included, you know, we had low competence as far as the past is concerned because it's never been done before. But the same token, we were highly committed in making it happen because we all knew, we all believed in the in the first 72 hours and we all committed to the command, command leadership team, that we were going to make this happen. How to make it happen based on our lack of experience on this particular task was what preempted the need uh, for uh, directing leadership staff. Yeah, so I see it several times where I've seen really a directing leadership style. So like we mentioned, Juan, right? You've got new people in the organization under unfamiliar with how to do things or how things are done. One aspect of directing could be training and education. You're, you've got people, you're teaching them, here's how things are, here's how things do, do this, here's how the outcome should be. I think another time, like you mentioned, is like during change. And again, you, I think you're assessing your audience's willingness to accept the change, right? And kind of adjust the tone of that directing style as you need to. As you know, in our nuclear power days and damage control days on ships, during emergencies and damage control situations, right, that's another aspect when I think you go heavily into directing mode. We don't have time to necessarily coach and support. People are scared. Things are confusing. So I think you go to a directing leadership style there. 
also with high-risk evolution. So for operating a nuclear power plant, doing a reactor startup, that is very directive in nature. It's very procedural. It uses a very bureaucratic leadership style, and I'll talk on that later. And then I think another time is when you come across attitudes. Again, you've got competent people, but people with resistant attitudes to the things you want, the tasks you want to get done. And I like the fact that you said this is task-oriented, situational leadership is, because that's where I think you blend the management with the leadership piece of it. Uh, any thoughts on those? No, I uh, totally agree with uh, everything that you said. It's uh, uh, th- those scenarios where it doesn't give you time, wiggle room to let's all take a vote and kind of study the scenario and let's just uh, you know make it happen. At the same token, though, in those scenarios, if everybody was, you know, was was highly trained, highly competent, and highly committed, everybody's going to be kind of directing themselves. So a scenario where a directing style of leadership would, would be a natural fit uh, could also be to where, uh, based on the, the level of development that people have, highly competent and highly motivated to go put out that fire, the delegating style of leadership uh, would perhaps be more appropriate uh, in that in that particular scenario. So it's really situational, and the critical piece is in the assessment of the folks uh, that are involved. So whether you're doing it at an individual level, or it's a little bit more challenging if it's a team, uh, because now uh, situational leadership, different folks are going to be in different uh, motivational levels or different competence level. And if they're all on the same team, and you're kind of like, okay, I'm hands off here, but I'm directing directive in, in, in with one, that, that may cause some unintended uh, second and third order effects there on the team and the individuals. Okay. So can you offer like some insights, your experiences? I have some too on when you're making that assessment, like what are you looking for to determine confidence and competence? What kind of things do people say or do uh, or what kind of attitude do they have that people could cue in and go, okay, I definitely got to take a directing leadership style. Yeah. So a quick one here, I was a, a chief, made senior chief. I was in this she was a slightly older platform and uh, <laughs> a little bit more uh, complexity and complicated stuff compared to other other platforms. And, uh, and so I joined the team and uh, my initial assessment is that we had in this, in this one division, we had a, a number of folks who were extremely, extremely experienced in, in, in that platform. And then we have about the same number of folks who have... Uh, uh, never been in that platform, but have a lot of expertise because they, they didn't serve in other uh, models, the nuclear plants. My assessment based on results, so I looked at the results of the output of that particular team, and then I looked at the, as a team, and then I looked at the results uh, that individuals have uh, delivered. So to be more specific, so I looked at, you know, past inspection results delivered by that team, and then I looked also at, you know, the individual level, how, how did they do uh, based on the data that was available, advancement exams, uh, their past interviews, and, and a one-on-one uh, conversation with them. So bringing all that data and uh, came to the conclusion that at least for the, for the interim, uh, a, a more directive style of leadership would be appropriate as to, to, to the team. What I learned, though, is that I was applying that to the team. Uh, I, I uh, would have been better to but much more complicated is to fine tune the leadership style to each individual based on the task. A directing style of leadership is not appropriate for somebody who who is extremely competent and extremely motivated, as, as you know. 
Yeah. And uh, so de- delegating would be more appropriate than that. But balancing the who should I delegate to, the who is easy to figure out based on the analysis, but it's adjusting it to I'm delegating to one, whereas the other teammate standing right next to the other individual is in the D1 or low competence but high commitment. So the the confusion, uh, it led to uh, some confusion on both the, the teammates and myself in, for this one particular task, one's at the D4 level, the high commitment, high, uh, high competence, but the other one's at the low competence but high commitment and, and adjusting the, the leadership style while you're actually in execution, that, that became a challenge that uh, uh, in hindsight uh, would have been better if I mastered the uh, uh, the ability to apply different leadership styles to different individuals in the same team and then have a overarching leadership style applied to the team. So can it be done? Absolutely. As I kind of learned uh, later on, uh, maturing with, with, with experience and evaluation of, uh, of the outcomes of, of previous tours, the, the best answer, I believe, is then is to tailor it as much as possible to each individual. And then when it comes to a group task, explaining and then getting everybody's feedback and then adjusting and checking all laws you're executing for a particular project or task, uh, adjusting the styles that will be as close as possible a master developmental needs. That's great stuff. So let's talk about we know we've assessed, we know we've got competence or commitment or some blend of the two that, you know, we make the decision we're going to go directing leadership style. So directing could be defined as pressure, commanding, controlling, all the way to guiding. So there's different approaches in the tone and the delivery of the directing style, right? So I call these hard, quote unquote, and soft, quote unquote, approaches. So what kind of hard and soft approaches have you had to use when being directive as a leader? And then explain why you chose those approaches and then how they how they impacted your team. So uh, uh, hard approaches uh, back on the USS Enterprise, it's something that I look back and uh, Man, just shaking my head, you know, how how yeah. <laughs> how could it be that I would uh, take pleasure in being, uh, say, known as, uh, the, the moniker was Darth Mallow. Yes, know, so. the infamous Darth Mallow. In front of that, Darth Mallow. So, <laughs> and, then, and then fast forward uh, a, few, a few years later, so just to kind of frame that there. So moved from the Enterprise to the pre-commissioning unit, uh, Ronald Reagan, and uh, one of my uh, first class petty officers, uh, uh, I ran into him at a restaurant. I was with my family, and then we were having dinner. And uh, he came over and brought his girlfriend over and, and introduced me. His girlfriend was was from the U.S. Enterprise. So, and, and what he said was, "Oh, so you are the infamous Dark Mallow." And uh, my my first class friend also looked at his girlfriend and said, "What are you talking about?" Because I had a completely different leadership style on the on the pre-commissioning unit, uh, Ronald Reagan. So we talked about it afterwards a couple of weeks later and I kind of explained to him, well, he kind of got the, the, the download from, I, I've never met a, uh, his girlfriend before, but right. uh, this was a couple of years from my time on the Enterprise, but it just kind of stayed on. I think it's still, well, the Enterprise is decommissioned now, but uh, kind of stayed on. I explained to him that, uh, you know, uh, what, what I felt uh, was needed during that time was uh, the, the hard, as you had kind of characterized it, the hard approach with a, a directive uh, leadership style 
to deliver the results. And I think everybody was pretty pleased with the results that we delivered in the operational reactor safeguards exams, you know, that happened during my time there as, as a plant leading chief petty officer and then later on as a division leading chief petty officer. Four plants, eight reactors, and, you know, over 100 reactor operators in the divisions. But looking back after both of those tours, Enterprise and, uh, and pre-commissioning in Ronald Reagan, I felt that uh, you can deliver the same results without a consistent, hard approach, without any adjustments. I would rather make those adjustments and go for the win-win. Win-win was not a, uh, in my leadership lexicon uh, during my time on the enterprise. It was a win-lose. I, I think it's better to go for the win-win. Win for the individual and then win for the team. And, and then, you know, win for, in this case, uh, not just the division department, but the entire, the entire command. Now, you gotta be realistic that it's not gonna work for everyone. And so if it's not for, for everyone, th- then you gotta go find what's gonna be still sticking with a win-win approach. What other, you know, jobs that, that I can find for them that would benefit them and benefit the team as well? Not, not, not easy, uh, but, but, you know, this was easier than anybody else will do it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a point I've heard others say, and I've said it too, is, you know, this leadership thing is, this is why it is hard, right? It takes a lot of thought. It takes a lot of practice. It's not just a bumper sticker. It's not just a t-shirt and all that other thing. So from my personal experience, when I went directing the wrong way, I guess I would say, or took the wrong pl- approach, perhaps I didn't have enough practice with other approaches. And this is where, as I mentioned in the beginning, right, you got to know your influence tactics, right? So I could be in the directing style of leadership and I could be using positive stuff like inspirational appeals. I can be doing rational persuasion, right? I, just because I'm in directing doesn't mean I have to be using pressure-based tactics or being a bureaucratic influence tactic, meaning using my position, do it because I said so because I'm the chief, do it because I said so because I'm your boss, do it because the procedure says to, um, there's a time to go to that or pressure when you start threatening, right? Do it or I'm going to take something away. Or if you don't do it this way, there's going to be re- repercussions on the whole group or something like that, right? So having the having your knowledge of influence tactics is important and feeling comfortable in being able to do a variety of things. I found one of the things when I was a new chief petty officer, and I tell this often is I made the mistake of thinking I was now had to be something different. I typically didn't have to rely on pressure-based or bureaucratic influence tactics, right? I was very democratic in my approach. You know, I'd like to use rational persuasion, explain the why. I'd like to bring the team together and try to inspire, solicit input, and still be able to get the results that I needed, right, in a firm but fair way. I made chief, and all of a sudden, I thought I had to play this role, you know, of being more bureaucratic. Hey, do it. I'm the chief. Or I had to assert my authority. So there was an, an immaturity in my leadership style back then. I didn't have practice with other approaches. I was making assumptions on the role I had to do and I was being unprofessional and I wasn't just, uh, I wasn't, I was being firm, but I wasn't being firm and fair and I wasn't treating others as I wanted to, right? So I got in a bad place and I got some feedback and I watched how people responded with emotional intelligence. <laughs> At least that was developing. And I saw that the team wasn't responding well. They were pulling back from me and pulling back, meaning they weren't as open with feedback. I could tell the attitude and the tone when I would walk in a space was quiet and you know they were shutting down. And then I just didn't feel good. I just didn't feel right. I had to sit down, get some feedback, got some coaching. And I remember sitting in the chief's mess talking to some fellow chiefs and one was like, hey, Paul, this is just be Paul Kingsbury, right? And do what's made you successful to this date. So 
I think uh, I think when people get into directing style, don't think that there's a certain model of it. And you got, as you said, got to go all Darth Vader on people to get the results you need to. There's other opportunities. So the videos from uh, NLDP, you know, those we <laughs> back in the day when Navy invested on the actual leadership development. Uh, yes, uh, a, a different uh, things. And the videos, and I remember those uh, to, to this day. You know, he had the the pace setter. The chief, the the affiliator, and then the kind of the authoritarian, which is uh, you know kind of lends to the leadership, or the directing style and situation leadership model. So you know, watching those, uh, the impression in my mind was like I want to be the one, who, you know, that that's uh, the affiliator, you know, the win-win, you know, be you know everybody's happy, you're happy, you're having fun. So hopefully they didn't show in the videos that yep. you know the results, the bosses were. Were happy. Yes. Was happy. My critique with those was, uh, you know, applying trying to trying to you know the real ideal model uh, application in, in in real life was uh, okay. You know, you cannot just be that one leadership style at all times. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And to, to your point earlier, that there's going to be some situations to where, uh, hey, it's a it's a crisis. We're, we're fighting a casualty. So. Let's get to it. There's not going to be, you know, people aren't going to want to, you know, be happy with, with some of the decisions of the direction that you're going to be giving. But the same token, you know, it's a crisis and that's what you got to do. Yeah. And so part of the model, too, we talk about it from the follower perspective. The leader is developing commit competence and commitment. So if I don't feel I have competence or if I'm not committed to the task at hand, I might choose the wrong leadership style that the followers need, if that makes sense, right? I might avoid directing because either... I don't feel comfortable with it. I don't have the skills with how to apply it. I haven't seen people model that in a productive way, or I just might not give a damn. Frankly, you know, I'm just like, whatever. And I delegate to the team to do what they want to do. And then I've delegated authority and decision making to a team that doesn't have the competence and commitment. And then failure is sure to follow. Thoughts on that? No, absolutely. So, but back to my earlier example on standing up the uh, IDOT. After getting the uh, the competence of the 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 mass chiefs in providing oversight and guidance to the other mass chief who volunteered to lead the the division, replacements came in, and so now you're back to okay, we have somebody who uh, you know may not be as committed, uh, or somebody that may have a completely different idea of how you know indoc should be run, and therefore you know would be at a low competence, uh, a lower competence level. And so, you know, uh, adjusting then uh, the style to those individuals. So we, we had one that just showed up uh, in more, more time in the Navy than, than I had, even though it's Command Master Chief, definitely respected the, the, the wisdom and technical experience that we brought, but was on the was on the other side of the decision to execute or continue. Uh, because this is made a decision to execute. Uh, six months later, three months later, you know, nine months, a year later, we, we started seeing the, the positive results uh, in, in retention, disciplinary issues, and, and also in the other uh, um, objectives, uh, secondary goals that we did, higher investment rate, uh, you know, lower safety incidents, uh, lower liber- liberty incidents, and again, more uh, uh, increased uh, uh, scores and in inspection. Well, the new mass chief uh, made the assessment. Okay, mass chief's at low competence level, not because he's he's not a mass chief, but because for this particular task of executing successfully executing uh, indoc division uh, was not did not have any experience as as we all did uh, when we first kicked it off. Uh, did not so 
So the Nashville needed uh, definitely uh, directing leadership pros, uh, whereas the other Nashvilles are already in place more into the delegate, delegating team. So again, it's the, it's the situational aspect, making that assessment and adjusting uh, as you based on based on subjective sometimes, yeah. but hopefully objective assessment findings uh, from from your analysis. Yeah, and I think that kind of gets at one of the points I want to make. You know, as you watch the team develop with their competence, commitment, or their maturity and willingness to do the task you need them to do, you start to shift, right? You move towards coaching next, right? And then you get into supporting, and then ultimately you can go delegating. But there are times when you have to backslide to an earlier style, and I think you explained a little bit about that. But are there other examples where you had to backslide to or when a leader would consider backsliding from, say, delegating or coaching back to directing style? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So on a, on a on a personal and professional level, you know, served with uh, on, at, at the same carrier, uh, uh, situations outside of work uh, distracted uh, uh, the fellow senior uh, leader, and uh, the, the results that was being that I my assessment of the results was coming out out of uh, her team uh, was was not up to where it needed to be. In other words, it was downward trending, and so. I, I knew right from the get-go because we had a, a, a good working professional personal relationship that it was it was matters outside of work that was impacting the, not only uh, her own performance but but also the performance of her team and so in that case uh, uh, more of a, a, a coaching and supporting um, because they're they're at the uh, D two they, they they've got some competence but their commitment has wavered off not 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 by their own volition but but because of external uh, factors and so whereas i was in the delegating uh mode in terms of that particular routine i had to readjust my my leadership approach from delegating to supporting and even coaching just to get that team back up to where they deserve to be because that's where they were and that's where they belong, and due to factors beyond anybody's control, the impact of uh, the distraction to the, their senior leader leader was impacting the results of that team. So that, that's one example of where, and I think that's fine that that, that to go move from different uh, because again, it's, it's it's situational. Yep. It does not propose or posit that uh, any one of those leadership styles is better than the other. It's all based on, quite frankly, the results. A good analysis of the inputs and then applying the right leadership style to get you to the desired results. Yeah. This doesn't follow a linear path, right? You can go from directing style and then realize when you make your assessment, like, man, competence commitment is high. And, you know, you make the assessment, you could jump all the way over to delegating in some cases and back and forth. Um, Absolutely. Because that, that video that affiliator chief, okay, that, that's great. The ideal world presented by that fictional video. But, but in reality, it could be that hey, they're all happy and then, you know, something that one, you know, that they're not happy about, well, what do you do then? If you just stuck to being, uh, my style is delegation or my style is being affiliated or, or, you know, or my style is just being directed all the time, then, then you're not going to optimize the, the, the results for, for the team. You're definitely not going to be anywhere near a win-win scenario. Absolutely. And then finally, kind of the risks of misusing this leadership style. Like I said, you can come in and misapply it. What have you seen, perhaps your own mistakes or in others, where they've misused the directing style or misused the influence tactics? And what advice would you give to avoid doing that? 
I consider my my experience on on uh, between those two shifts uh, as a, a misapplication of the situational leadership uh, style. There, it's not the the misuse, but it's the my failure to adjust to, to the situation to not deliver the maximum opportunity for a win win. So uh, you know, it's purely directive or, or a style on on one uh, with one team, and then uh, I try to be, but my assessment looking back uh, in hindsight. In the other team, I was more of the the delegating, perhaps you know, supporting and maybe a little bit of coaching. Right. But I was more of the delegating piece. I think in in, in both ways, uh, had I fine tuned and and be more uh, accurate in my analysis, be more diligent in the way I analyze uh, the development levels based on the results. I think that I could have, we could have delivered, the team could have delivered. Um, a better results. I had more fun in the in the delegating because it takes a toll to, as you know, you know if you're you know highly directive and 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 very you know over the shoulder you know supervising and and and, and again the with that comes the all the other aspects you know being you know negative uh, overly critical you know the meetings will continue until morale improves <laughs> uh, kind of approach. All, all that stuff, that's not as fun. I mean, I, even for the chiefs that I, that I worked for, that were all that. But, but I think, you know, when they, you know, they got back in, in, in the mess, they, they hopefully were different kind of individuals. If they're not, I, you know, I can't see anybody having fun and just, you know, sticking with one style. Now, I've worked with chiefs who are all into the delegating stuff and they have fun no matter what the results are. And so for those folks. <laughs> yeah. As the CMC. Okay, come on here, shipmate. Let's let's have a chat. I'll be, uh, you know, coaching directly. Yeah, I think the biggest impact is on the attitude, right? So if I have, you know, if I misassess my audience or I don't have the flexibility and leadership styles and influence tactics, people who are competent and with a good attitude don't want to be micromanaged or overly directed. I, and that doesn't mean you don't give them watch team backup and just validate, right? Trust but verify from time to time. There's a yeah. point in that. But um, you can drive, you know, there's three general attitudes in a team, right? There's commitment, there's compliance, and then there's a resistance. You can take committed people and start to drive them down, right? They can just like, okay, I used to come and give it all. Now I'm just going to come to work and do the minimum. And in worst case, if you continue to misapply the leadership style or frankly select the wrong one, you can even drive them down into resistance. Meanwhile, I think if you can use them in the right way, you can take, you know, towards those resistant people. And it, resistant doesn't mean I've got a bad attitude. Resistant might just be like, I don't have self-confidence in myself to want to step up and do this. You can use these encouraging approaches. The next thing you do, you're getting compliance. You're getting people to take on roles and do skill sets that they didn't think they could do. And then the confidence follows. And the next thing you know, the commitment to the team and the commitment to you as a leader builds. So I think that's where it all translates. All right, Glenn, uh, any final thoughts? And then what resources would you recommend on this topic? So definitely resources wise, I definitely recommend the, the CPO guide because it talks about and gives you scenarios on, on how to use the influence tactics, the power basis. Uh, definitely a good, good read. Folks that uh, are more interested in the situational leadership model from Hershey Blanchard, uh, you know, any of the books out there, articles, uh, you know, from easily searched online would, would be good. The key takeaway that I would hope for folks that want to kind of check this out is uh, how can I apply this? How do I assess uh, my team before I initially apply it? And then how do I adjust based on my assessment on the final output? Well, one last thing I wanted to add is in, in the digital age there, 
how do you lead? You know, the examples that I have of, of leadership that we kind of talked about are all not, not just old school, but they're more in the uh, you're 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 directly uh, interacting with, with individuals. But in the digital age, to where folks are you know working remotely, teams are dispersed, and uh, and the engagement uh, is in the digital world, different types of forums. How to apply situational leadership and the influence tactics in the power basis uh, to be successful in that kind of environment. So I, I believe that there's a need for a discussion and adjustments uh, of the situational leadership model uh, to, to be more effective in the digital era. Yeah, maybe we can spin off another episode on that. That'd be that's 30 minutes of discussion, if not more. So. Yeah. All right, everyone. Uh, I think that'll wrap it up. My guest today, is, again, has been retired command master chief Glenn Mallow. Glenn, as always, you know, we always have the time to meet from face to face at least a couple times a month. I enjoy the conversations, your insight approaches, you help shape the chief petty officer's guide, you know, the flow of that and things like that. So value our relationship. I continue to. Uh, thanks for being a great friend. And then thanks for taking some time to join me today on the Cutlass Podcast to help us learn more about this directing style of leadership. Good luck and all the best to you. Thanks again, Paul. All right, everyone, that wraps up another episode of the Cutlass Podcast. As always, like it, share, subscribe, help me get the word out on these episodes, and then give me feedback. You can always email me at cutlassleadership at gmail.com. I got a piece of feedback a couple weeks ago about you know wanting to hear more and letting the episodes go a little longer. I may not do that all the time, but on this one, we did. Uh, so uh, I want to get the full extent, make sure you get the full value out of these. As always, I want you to be versatile. I want you to be a sturdy And I want you to be a credible leader who makes a positive difference in your personal and professional life.